Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, God's Rescue Plan. So let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 to 18, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Questioning Our Calling. It is very good to feel unworthy of the things that God has called us to do. When God first called Saul to be king, he responded by saying, for Samuel 9.21, he said, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? And I wish that throughout his lifetime, Saul would have kept saying that. There are other examples. For Samuel 18.23, David says, Do you think it a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man. I'm little known. Or think of Isaiah. He's called to be a prophet. Isaiah 6.5, he says, Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Jeremiah said something very similar. Jeremiah 1.6, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. And in the New Testament, this attitude is carried forward. Luke 5, verse 8, Peter first encounters Jesus, And all he can think to do is to fall down at Jesus' knees and say, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And Paul? (laughs) Ephesians 3, verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I never trust anyone who thinks he's worthy of the task to which God has called him. No one's worthy. But more, it is required of us that we be overwhelmed that God would condescend to choose us for any task at all. We should all look around in amazement and see the, the many others that are better equipped than we are. But we need also to humbly accept that if God chooses us, then let it be so. But when we reflect on the things that God has called us to do, please don't then allow that to be the opportunity to become proud. I mean, I like to remember, hey, God even spoke through Balaam's ass. And I might be only very slight improvement on that donkey. And furthermore, we should, when beginning to be used by God, reflect on Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what's low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And so if God calls you to do something that's great, please remember he called you so that when people saw what kind of a weak and unworthy vessel you actually are, they'd have to conclude, must be God, because, I mean, that person could never have pulled that off. Yeah, God bypassed better candidates so he alone would receive glory. So remember that when you feel arrogant or when you feel something's owed to you. But there's another side to this. Sometimes when we examine ourselves and find ourselves unworthy, we might decide, I just won't do what God has called me to do. And interestingly enough, that is a form of pride. That is, if you've been called to do a great thing, and if you know your own weaknesses, well, you might feel tempted to say no to God simply because you fear you won't look good in the eyes of others. You can't get yourself to say yes and then listen to the voices of the critics who will say, just who do you think you are? Hey, you're no better than anybody else. On that last note, Moses would have an experience just like that. It came during Korah's rebellion. And here's what happened to him then. It's recorded in Numbers 16, verse 3. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. 
For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? And what would have been the answer to that? Well, Moses knew the answer then. He would allow the Lord to indicate the man he had chosen to lead Israel. And that's the answer to such a statement. You are no better than we are, the critics will say. To that, the man or woman of God responds by saying, perhaps I'm worse than everyone else. I'll let God judge that, but this I do know. God chose me to do this task, and for that reason I'm doing it. And here at the beginning of Moses' call, he's not yet matured to that realization. I mean, after all, the call he has received far surpasses anything he's dreamt to be possible. Go to Egypt, call a meeting with the elders of Israel, convince them that God has called you to lead the nation out of slavery and to the promised land, and then take the elders and demand to be released from Pharaoh himself. And after he refuses, defeat Egypt, then plunder the Egyptians and leave Egypt with two million people. I mean, sounds simple, right? Moses isn't so sure. And so as we watch his interaction with God in our text today, we're going to see that he has two reasons why he doesn't want to go. And as we examine those two reasons, we might ask ourselves why we also might say no to God. Let's look at the first objection and God's answer. Here I'm reading Exodus 4, 10 to 12. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So let's start with Moses' objection. There are some Bible teachers who feel this is not really an objection. I mean, they say this is merely, you know, Middle Eastern ways of communicating. God is saying, do this mighty thing. And Moses responds in humility, no, I can't do this mighty thing. I'm dust and ashes, or or in this case, I'm just a bad speaker. But that's not a possible explanation of what Moses is saying, and I'll explain why. God's response suggests to me that God himself understood this was no mere display of humility. Rather, this was Moses stating he didn't want to go. We do know that the Egyptian magicians that surrounded Pharaoh's court who were not only able to do miracles through their dark powers, but who also advised Pharaoh. We know that these men were often chosen because they had powers of oratory or that they were known as excellent public speakers. I think that Moses is doing a reasonable assessment of his own abilities because he had grown up around those men. He had heard their power to convince even Pharaoh himself, and he thought next to them, you know, I'm going to seem like a bumbler. To be slow of speech means not to be quick-witted. I mean, there are some people whom we like to call fast on their feet. That is, when criticism is offered or when a proposition is made, they can, on their feet, very quickly respond in such a way that they make others around them feel stupid. One such man was Winston Churchill. You know, on one occasion, a critic, in this case a woman, she told him that if he was her husband, She'd give him poison to drink. And then without hesitation, Churchill responded by saying, ma'am, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. (laughs) You know, Moses is saying, God, when the battles get heated up and I'm called upon to defend my position and when men are ridiculing me or challenging me, I don't know how to respond. I'm not eloquent. I was not at the top of my class when I was being trained in Egypt. These guys were better than I was, and I think they're still better than I am today. Now, that's a problem. 
I mean, one day, the great missionary to India, William Carey, was seated next to a decorated English army officer, and the military man said, ah, Mr. Carey, I understand you're a shoemaker. And Carey responded, no, no, I'm just a cobbler. That is, I know you're trying to offend me, but know this, I'm less than a shoemaker. I only fix shoes. Carey wasn't concerned with what others thought. This mere cobbler had translated the scripture into, you know, 40 languages and dialects. And he ended the practice of burning widows with their dead husbands in the land of India. He had won countless men and women to Christ. I mean, that's quite a cobbler, wouldn't you say? See, the answer to Moses could have been this. You think that God is limited by your limitations? You know, to be called a vessel of God's a great privilege. Now it's time. Just trust God. But God has another answer. So Moses, you're slow of speech and you lack eloquence, do you? Perhaps you need to consider to whom you're answering. Who made man's mouth? Hey, that's a question. That is, not only did God fashion his mouth, but he also fashioned his skill with his tongue. Even though it is true that good training can make a person a better speaker, yet the raw elements to being that, they're created by God. Look, you know, I have personally trained more than one preacher in my lifetime. And I have found that I can help a good preacher become an excellent preacher but I can't help a bad preacher become an excellent preacher. Some of the raw elements have to be given by God, and if they're not, you just don't have them. And God's making that plain to Moses. Are you, Moses, going to lecture me about what your abilities are? Because I'm the God who fashioned your abilities. When you were created, I designed you precisely the way that you are. And that's fascinating, because let's go to the end of Moses' life in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a sermon. Moses, the preacher, he's making his last appeal to the people of Israel. Deuteronomy is Moses, the eloquent man, able to persuade God's people that they should choose life over death. They should choose obedience to God over going their own way. Moses was more than capable of doing all that God had called him to do because God had made him. Let's remember that. It's that time of year again for the release of our annual Back to the Bible Canada 2023 Scripture Calendar. This year's theme is Freedom in Christ, to commemorate the gift of liberty that God has graced us with through Jesus. Each month, you'll find stunning visuals, a Bible verse reflecting on freedom, and encouragement from Dr. John Newfeld to live freely. It also contains a guide to help you read through the Bible in its entirety in one year. It's our hope that this resource will serve as a tool to help you engage with God's Word daily, as well as to encourage you to live in the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. The Freedom in Christ calendar is available free for the month of October. But hurry, supplies are limited, so to request your copy today, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. God tells Moses that he's more than simply the creator of his mouth. He says something that for many of us strikes us as difficult. We are to the most part happy with the idea that God made everyone's mouth as well as their level of gifts and abilities. But what God says next, well, hang on, it might be offensive to you. God says that he also makes people mute or deaf or seeing or blind. God says, I take responsibility for all of that. 
You know, one of the reasons that some of us are shocked by that is that, you know, some of us haven't read what the Bible says about that. So let's take note of some passages in the Scripture. Amos 3, verse 6. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Isaiah 45, verse 7, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Lamentations 3, 37 to 38, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? And none other than the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. That is to say, when a sparrow falls to the ground, it falls because God did it. Now, when you think about it, what else would we have expected? Did we think the world was a place where random events happen and God's saying, look, I I can't control everything? No, no. The world is a place where God meticulously controls everything. You know, we can't have it both ways. Good things are controlled by God, and things that cause suffering are caused by Satan. That's what some people believe. You might remember the account of Jesus healing the blind man, John 9, 1 to 3. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That is to say, this man was born blind for the glory of God. He might have been blind to this point so that when Jesus healed him, the glory of God would be displayed, resulting in the salvation of many. Look, this isn't a treatise on why bad things happen, but we've already seen that Israel's slavery in Egypt and the consequent sufferings that attended their bad situation, that resulted in them longing for the promised land. They would never have left Egypt if the world had not suddenly changed for them. If they had remained prosperous in Egypt, well, they would have stayed there. They had never fulfilled their destiny. The Messiah wouldn't have come into the world. The salvation of men and women from every race, tribe, tongue, and culture on earth wouldn't have happened. You see, God controls not only the development of Moses' mouth, he also oversees the development of every mouth. His purposes are not always apparent, but they do what God purposes. Indeed, what he does is good. And Paul testifies to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You know, Paul's oratorical abilities were not equal to some of the Greek speakers who frequented Corinth. I mean, those speakers would combine popular Greek philosophy with myths about the gods, and they would do so, and they'd be able to make their audience roar with laughter at one moment and then weep in sadness the next. Paul said, I did none of that. So that, he says, your faith wouldn't rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. See, I can't compete with the great speakers in Pharaoh's court, says Moses. So I shouldn't go to Egypt. And God responds, who made man's mouth? So you'd think Moses should be done with his objections, but he isn't. Exodus 4, 13 to 16. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. This now is Moses' final objection. Send someone else. It's hard here to read the exact nature of this response. Is Moses still so insecure in his inabilities 
Or is he simply saying, leave me alone. I've spent the last 40 years out here in the desert taking care of these sheep. I'm comfortable here. I just don't want to go. See, in many ways, it doesn't matter the nature of Moses' objection. If he's still insecure, he's a man completely devoid of faith in the God who controls everything. In that case, this would be a great insult to God, a great sin. You know, if it's a matter of saying, look, all the excuses really just amount to one thing. I just don't want to go. That also is a great sin. The God who made Moses' mouth is also the God who made Moses for a purpose. You can't run from God. See, in many ways, this account is a lot in common with the calling of Jonah, the prophet who would be called to leave Israel, go to the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. And even as God would later be angry with Jonah because of his refusal to go, so also God is now angry with Moses. After all, God's call is not to be refused. It's one in which we bend the knee. God will not be refused. But even here in God's anger, we see also God's mercy. He tells Moses that there's his brother Aaron. And we're going to remember that Aaron is three years older than Moses. And Moses wouldn't have known at this point in time after all these years, you know, that Aaron had set out to find his brother. Now, we're not sure how Aaron managed to leave Egypt. He had. And this is also God's doing. Now, think about it. In an answer to the question, how will I convince the elders of Israel to believe that God has spoken to me? God has answered. He gives them three signs that will convince them. Now, in answer to Moses' question that this matter of his abilities is insurmountable, God provides him a reunion with his brother. He's a masterful speaker. Verse 15 makes it clear that Moses and Aaron would form a partnership. But what especially fascinates me about this arrangement are the last words of verse 16, and you shall be God to him. Now, that means that there's a very clear, very well understood arrangement. Moses is the prophet. God places words into Moses' mouth. Moses then, between the two men, communicates those words to Aaron. Aaron is then to speak them. So we have a hierarchy. God reveals, Moses is the prophet, Aaron is the repeater. Now that arrangement is exactly what's happening in a local church today. God has revealed the truth to the apostles and prophets. They've written the scripture. The job of the preacher is to repeat what's written. It's an arrangement that must not be ignored. I mean, imagine the mess that would result had Aaron decided, I've got my own message and I'm going to get through to Pharaoh my own way. Yeah, what Moses said is good, but, you know, maybe we could embellish it a bit and add a couple of my own thoughts and strengthen our position. And then perhaps we can work out some kind of a compromise just between Pharaoh and myself. And of course, any pastor who will not stick with the scripture and thinks the pulpit is a place for his own ideas, that's exactly like that. He's like what Aaron would have been like if he thought he had better ideas than Moses. No, no. Moses will be as God to Aaron. For Aaron is to understand that when Moses speaks, it's because Moses has heard from God. In the same way, the Bible is to be as God to the preacher, knowing that when the Bible says something, it says it because God the Holy Spirit has inspired those words in the intellect of the prophets and the apostles who wrote them down with a pen. Well, now. We finally come to the point of our text where we have Moses without any excuse. He's exhausted himself trying to refuse God's call in his life. Moses will go not because he sees an opportunity. He will go because God's hand is on his life and he dare not refuse. Exodus 4, 17 and 18, God is still speaking. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law said to him, Please let me go to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. 
I find the reaction of Moses' father-in-law to be refreshing. I imagine Moses coming back after a number of days shepherding the flock. I don't know how the conversation went. I mean, did he start by saying, Hey, Dad, you'll never guess what happened to me at the foot of Mount Sinai. I mean, we don't know. Indeed, our text says that all Moses told him is that he wanted to go back to Egypt to see his family and who was alive. Did Jethro, after that time, suspect more? No word is spoken except the words, Go in peace. Jethro's place in his family is such that he realizes that he must free his family to do what God has called them to do. Jethro's place is to bless his son-in-law and not pretend that he can make decisions for him. Go in peace. And I mention that because as we're going to see, Moses will take his wife along. Jethro submits to the will of God far easier than Moses is able to do. Jethro must have grasped that something very big was at stake. Jethro will not stand in God's way. And so the matter of Moses' calling is complete. No longer will he question the wisdom of God. He may not. He can only obey. He is on his way. Let that be our example as well. Thanks so much, John. Let me ask you, given the discussion around Aaron, What would you say is the essential role of the pastor today? Yeah, that's so good, Ben. I, you know, (laughs) there is something in this passage so important for us to get a hold of. And the important thing is that, you know, Moses is God's prophet. So God speaks directly to Moses. I mean, later on, uh, it'll go so far as to say that God speaks with Moses face to face. Aaron doesn't have that experience. And so I'm going to say that, you know, all of the Bible writers uh, were directly moved by the Holy Spirit so that every single word that they wrote was directly inspired by God. No contemporary pastor can say that. I mean, no pastor stands up and say, God spoke to me personally, and that becomes your message. Uh, and if you're doing that, you should stop. Your job is to be like Aaron, who listened to the prophet, and uh, God spoke to Moses, and then Aaron simply repeated what Moses wanted to have said. So, you know, I think, you know, yeah, this story is an excellent example for every single pastor as he thinks about, you know, what is my job? What's my calling? What do I do when I stand in the pulpit? What topic should I address? The answer is, what does the scripture say? Say that. Thanks so much, John, and remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, God's Rescue Plan, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Would you like to receive all of the latest Back to the Bible Canada? Laugh Again and In Doubt, Bible teaching and encouragement resources directly to your inbox every Monday to Friday. Then be sure to sign up for the free daily audio mail. Every day you'll receive an email containing links to all the daily Bible teaching programs, newest blogs, and all the audio and video messages from Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again and In Doubt. Once you sign up, all the newest from Dr. John and Phil will be one click away. So to subscribe for audio mail, visit backtothebible.ca and at the bottom of the page, you'll find a simple sign-up form. Now all your favorite resources will be sent to you every weekday. Or if you prefer, 
just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 and we'll make sure you receive the next Back to the Bible Canada audio mail.